Our second Bible reading is Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's bow our heads and pray for God's power to be at work among us as his word is preached. The writer of Psalm 119 says to God, the law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Father God, please give us that same way of thinking about your word. Open our eyes to its riches, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Most episodes of the TV show Fixer Upper starring Chip and Joe Gaines, follow a familiar format. First, the house hunting individual or family views three different houses for sale, all in need of varying amounts of renovation. Once the house has been chosen and bought, Chip and Joe get to work. We watch Chip gleefully swinging a sledgehammer on demolition day, and then we see some structural changes being made to the house. There's usually a trip to an antiques showroom or a carpenter to find some suitable decorations or furniture. When the internal changes have been made and the exterior has been painted, Joe does some styling, lots of nice finishing touches, candles, cushions, that sort of thing. And then at last, it's time for the big reveal. A gigantic screen is set up on the sidewalk in front of the renovated house, preventing the new homeowners from seeing what it looks like. The screen is in two sections, and uh, as those sections are pulled apart, we see the happy homeowners gasp with delight and jump for joy, 
and then we ourselves, the viewers, sitting on the edge of our seats, get to see... No, we don't, because there are always ads at that point. But after watching ads for Lowe's and Home Depot and Benjamin Moore Paints, then at last we get to see what made the homeowner jump around with joy. We see the renovated house in all its splendor. Today's Bible passage features its own big reveal. And our first heading today with one more to come is Revelation. Revelation. In verses 4 and 5, Paul says, In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Something wasn't made known to previous generations, Paul says, and now it's been revealed. What is it that's been revealed? You'll be glad to hear that Paul doesn't cut to the ads at the end of verse 5. He pulls back the screens right away and says in verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and share us together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Gentiles, there in verse 6, means non-Jews. The word in the original language translated Gentiles can also be translated nations, and some English Bibles actually have nations in verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the nations are heirs, together with Israel, members together of one body, and share us together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So the big reveal, according to Paul, is that Jesus, God's promised King of Israel, offers his blessings not only to Israel, but to all the other nations as well. People in those nations don't have to become Israelites to receive the blessings offered by King Jesus, such as the blessing of forgiveness, all our sins, past, present, and future, pardoned by God. Jesus offers that extraordinary blessing on the basis of his death. There on the cross, he took God's punishment so that we wouldn't have to. And that gift of forgiveness, along with all Jesus' other blessings, are offered to the nations, to the nations just as they are. Mexican people don't have to become Jewish. They can carry on being Mexican. Nigerian people don't have to become Jewish. They can carry on being Nigerian. Japanese people don't have to become Jewish. They can carry on being Japanese. Now, it's possible you're thinking, that's not a big reveal. That was always God's plan. Didn't God tell Abraham in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him? If that's your reaction, you're partially right. In the time of Abraham, very early in salvation history, God promised that he would bless all nations. But the point is, no one knew how that would work out in practice. Here's what the ESV Study Bible says about that line in verse 5, not made known to men in other generations. The ESV Study Bible says, while God had promised to Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him, 
the extent of the salvation that would come to the Gentiles was not clear until after the giving of the Spirit. End quote. It's rather similar in Fixer Upper. We get to see glimpses of what's to come as Chip bashes down a wall and Joe chooses a colour for the bathroom ceiling but it's hard to put it all together and visualise what the house will end up looking like until the big reveal. Later in the passage, Paul says that before the mystery was revealed, it was, this is from verse 9, kept hidden in God, who created all things. Kept hidden in God. The mystery of Gentiles receiving God's blessings as Gentiles without becoming Israelites, that mystery was like treasure hidden deep inside God's robes. And then when the time was right, God brought out that treasure from an inner pocket and the mystery was revealed. Those words in verse 9 are important because they confirm that it was God himself who was hiding the truth that was later revealed. So the big reveal isn't the case of God helping out humans who were rather slow-witted and needed some help understanding what was right in front of them. No. No, God himself hid the truth that all his promised blessings would be available to the Gentiles as Gentiles without any requirement for them to become Jewish. We are so used to Christianity being God's global good news that it's hard for us to imagine a time when God's whole world plan was a mystery. But we can tell from elsewhere in the New Testament that the inclusion of the nations was truly unexpected. On the one hand, the good guys in the early church were pleasantly surprised. In Acts chapter 11, Peter tells some Jewish believers in Jesus about a Gentile named Cornelius. Cornelius and his whole household have just recently put their trust in Jesus and then God showed that he accepted them as they were because they miraculously spoke in other languages just as the apostles had done on the day of Pentecost. Peter says, talking to Jewish believers in Jesus, telling them about Cornelius and his household, Peter says to them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, Cornelius and his household, as he had come upon us at the beginning. God gave them the same gift as he gave us. So Peter's giving that report to a group of Jewish believers and here's how they respond. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Even the Gentiles, they say. They were surprised. It was a pleasant surprise to them. So that was the reaction of the good guys in the early church. On the other hand, we know from the book of Galatians that there were some bad guys in the early church who were so opposed to Gentile inclusion that in those early years they went around telling Gentile believers that they had to obey all the laws of the Old Testament. Essentially, they wanted those Gentile Christians, those new Gentile Christians, to become Jewish. And that was a negative reaction to God's big reveal. Paul calls those bad guys false brothers in Galatians chapter 2. 
It's further evidence that God's plan for including the Gentiles was unknown and unexpected before the big reveal. Well, before we move on to our next heading, it's worth noting that it is still human nature, it's still in our nature, to tie Jesus up with culture. That's what those false brothers were seeking to do, the ones who reacted badly to God's big reveal. They were insisting that Jesus and all his blessings could only be received along with the laws and customs of Jewish culture, the Jewish people. Surely the same kind of thing is happening today in 21st century America when Christians say or give the impression that you can only receive Jesus if you also receive the Republican Party and guns and a very rose-tinted view of American history. And surely the same kind of thing is happening when other American Christians say or give the impression that you can only receive Jesus if you also receive the Democratic Party and big government social welfare programs and a very negative view of American history. Jesus is not tied to either of those cultures. His blessings are offered to all nations and all subcultures within those nations. It's true, when a subculture has something evil going on within it, and a member of that subculture becomes a Christian, that new Christian will need to say no to that evil thing, that evil element in their subculture. Jesus has commands that he expects his followers to keep with his powerful help. But saying no to one evil element of a subculture isn't the same as leaving that subculture altogether. One of my Christian heroes is Henry Venn. His last name will sound familiar because he was the father of the mathematician John Venn, who invented Venn diagrams. Henry Venn wasn't a mathematician. He was a missions director in Victorian England who sent out missionaries with a peculiar aim. Their aim was to put themselves out of work. Their goal was to create churches that would be self-governing, self-supporting, and self-extending. Now, if you think about that, you'll see that Henry Venn really got the message of Ephesians 3, verse 6, this revealed mystery. He was so confident that new converts anywhere in the world could have Jesus and their own nation, their own culture, that he wanted those new believers to be in charge of their own churches as soon as possible. And that was at a time, the 19th century, when the cultural gulf between the so-called civilized world and the rest of the world was enormous. It must have been tempting for the missionaries sent out by Henry Venn to think that new believers in Asia and Africa perhaps would need constant supervision and increasing westernization. It must have been so tempting for them to assume that in the 19th century. But Henry Venn said no, they should govern themselves, support themselves, and extend themselves. 
He took to heart the message of verse 6. Through the gospel, the Gentiles, the nations, are sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Through the gospel, the Gentiles, the nations, are sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. There was a time when the blessings of relationship with God were tied to one particular culture. But then God revealed what had been hidden. No more mystery. The blessings of God's Saviour King are for the nations as well as for Israel. Well, it's time for us to press on to the next part of the sermon. Our second and final heading is administration. You can see that word administration used in verse 2, where Paul says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. And the same word is used in verse 9, where Paul speaks of the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God. Whenever there's a mystery that needs to be revealed, there's a decision to be made about how to reveal it. Thanks to the wonders of ultrasound technology, parents can know the gender of their child about 20 weeks into pregnancy. That has led to the phenomenon of gender reveal parties, where the parents reveal the mystery of the gender of their child to family and friends. And people have demonstrated a lot of creativity at these gender reveal parties. There are gender reveal dragon eggs with black scales that change color when heated, either to blue or to pink. There are gender reveal golf balls that release a cloud of blue or pink smoke when firmly hit by a golf driver. And uh, there are gender reveal pinatas that shower pink or blue confetti once you give them a good whack. Just don't do, please don't do what Veronica Fernandez did. She hosted a gender reveal party for her pregnant sister in Houston in 2020. Veronica's sister did exactly what she was supposed to do. She threw a dart at a big balloon containing lots of pink confetti and she hit the balloon with the dart and the balloon released the confetti but the dart kept on going and ended up in Veronica's lower leg not on her leg it didn't hit her leg and bounce off it ended in her leg and it had to be removed later that day at a local ER I'm happy to say there was no lasting damage well God did not use dragon eggs, golf balls, pinatas, or darts to reveal his previously hidden truth about the nations. Verse 6 tells us he used his holy apostles and his prophets. They were God's administrators. He revealed the truth to them, the administrators, and they then passed it on to others. And Paul, the writer of this letter, had a particularly important part to play because he was the apostle to the Gentiles, to the nations. The other 12 apostles were sent to Israel, to the Jewish people. They were based, particularly early on, they were based in Jerusalem. Paul was sent out to the nations. And in those early decades, the apostles sent to the Jewish people 
they wobbled a little on the question of whether Gentile believers in Jesus could just stay Gentile. The apostles sent to the Jews wobbled on that truth, that revealed mystery. But Paul wouldn't let them wobble. Paul kept saying what he says in verse 6, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Paul made repeated visits to Jerusalem to try to maintain unity between the Gentile churches and the mother church in Jerusalem itself. On one of those visits, he was arrested. And many Bible scholars think that Paul's imprisonment at the time of writing this letter, he says in verse 1, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, many Bible scholars think his imprisonment was the outcome of that arrest in Jerusalem, which is described towards the end of the book of Acts. And that would explain why Paul describes himself in verse 1 as the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. He was arrested and imprisoned because he was there in Jerusalem sticking up for them, sticking up for their right to be considered co-heirs with Israel. But Paul doesn't want his Gentile readers to blame themselves or feel guilty. He says in verse 13, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. When Jesus commissioned Paul to be the apostle to the nations, Jesus told him there would be suffering involved. That's in Acts chapter 9. Paul accepted that commission willingly out of love for Jesus, out of love for the Gentiles. He tells them in verse 13 that his sufferings are your glory because in his sovereignty, God used Paul's sufferings to advance the message about Jesus further and wider among the nations. You've probably noticed by now that Paul talks about himself quite a lot in this passage, but he wasn't big-headed. He acknowledges in verse 7 that he's utterly dependent on the power of God. And Paul also never forgot that before he put his trust in Jesus, he had persecuted the early church. That's why he describes himself in verse 8 as less than the least of all God's people. The reason why he talks about himself throughout the passage isn't because he's big-headed. It's because his God-given role as one of the administrators, and in fact the administrator to the nations, that role was so important. This grace was given me, Paul says in verse 8, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul revealed the mystery of Gentile inclusion to the Gentiles themselves. He told them the riches of Israel's promised saviour king, they're for you as well as for Israel. What a job that was. Now Paul knew what the outcome of his labours would be. By the time of writing this letter, he'd already begun to see the outcome take shape. The outcome is there in verse 10. The church, the universal church made up of all God's people, can be seen visibly in local churches. Paul himself had by this time already planted local churches in many different places across the Roman Empire. And Paul says in verse 10 
that the church is how God demonstrates his wisdom to the watching angelic powers. I'll say that again. The church is how God demonstrates his wisdom to the watching angelic powers. Please look down with me to verse 10 so that we can all see this for ourselves. Paul says in verse 10, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The church is how God answers the spiritual beings who, up until that point, couldn't figure out what God was doing in the world. The church is how God answers them. According to the Bible, there are powerful spiritual beings other than God. They are both good and bad. And they weren't briefed in advance about God's purposes. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, even angels long to look into these things. They weren't briefed in advance about God's purposes. They must have wondered what God was up to when they saw God's world filled with rebellious nations, disobedient nations, and just one nation, Israel, that very imperfectly worshipped the Creator. What was God up to? God's answer is the church. The church made up of both Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus. The world is no longer made up of rebel nations plus one semi-obedient nation. Through the spread of the gospel, God has worshippers throughout the world. There are local churches on every continent. What was God up to when he made a world and kept it running? Even after humanity had rebelled against him, what was God up to? The church. God's mystery, the mystery he had kept hidden, was revealed by his administrators and the outcome was the church, which demonstrates God's wisdom, not only to the angelic powers in the heavenly realms, but also to watching human beings. There are wonders in these verses, this Bible passage, but what difference should they make to our day-to-day -day lives, our Monday through Sunday? Well, if you're listening today as a, a non-Christian, I hope with all my heart that you want to join in with the church. It doesn't have to be this church. It could be another church that seeks to be faithful to God's word, the Bible. Whatever your nationality, whatever your subculture, come in to the church. Yes, Jesus will introduce changes to your life, but they're changes for the better and he will help you make them. Jesus wants you to receive all the blessings he paid for through his death on the cross. His invitation is offered to you with his love. He wants you to come in to his church. Please join in. What about those of us who have already received Jesus' blessings, his good gifts? How should we apply the message of this passage to our lives? Surely we should renew our passion for the local church, 
the local church is the visible result of the revelation and administration that we've been thinking about in this sermon. The local church is the outcropping of the universal church. It's the neighbourhood showroom of God's global spectacle. Now every local church falls short of being the showroom that it really ought to be. And yet, despite that, the local church, if it stays faithful to God's word, God's message about Jesus, the local church really is the neighbourhood showroom of God's global spectacle. So let's renew our vision for the local church. Again, it doesn't have to be this one. Although in our annual congregational meeting coming up later, I will be urging us to stick with this particular church. But it doesn't have to be this particular church. It could be any local church that is faithful to the good news about Jesus. Let's renew our vision for the local church, our passion for the local church. The neighbourhood showroom of God's global spectacle. Since that is true of the church, let's take hold of that truth with both hands and live it out. To live out our showroom nature as one of God's local churches we will need to grasp the implications of verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Often in those early decades, that meant that a, a Gentile church over there in Asia Minor was fully on board with all God's blessings and a Jewish church in Jerusalem was also in fully on board with all of God's blessings. But increasingly often, churches came about with Jewish believers in Jesus and Gentile believers in Jesus together. And those groups previously, as we heard last week, had not typically got on well with each other. So the implication of verse 6 for those hybrid Jewish Gentile churches in those early decades was they had to put their differences behind them and they had to learn to live together as one body, members together of one body. I don't think in this church we find it difficult to have Jewish believers and Gentile believers together as one body, but we may find there's a cultural difference with another church member that we bump up against that we do find difficult. The same point applies. The same truth applies. All the blessings of Jesus are offered to the nations and their subcultures as they are. And so we need to learn to live together with one another in the local church as members together of one body. Different body parts. Body parts need one another. The eyelash really can't do a great job of being a body all by itself, nor can the liver, nor can the toenail. We need one another as the members of the body of Christ, members together of one body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks 
that in Christ and through faith in him, we may approach you with freedom and confidence. We believe that because of the forgiveness of sins that we have through Jesus. Help us, Heavenly Father, to approach you alongside one another. Help us to overcome cultural differences we may have with one another and live together in unity, rejoicing in the unsearchable riches that are ours through Jesus Christ. Amen.